Instead of being an ankle biter like a dog, you are an arm biter. (laughs) Yes, I would bite my own arm. You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related. Real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Hey, everybody. Hey. Oh, I'm everybody? No, you're supposed to say hey, everybody. Oh, hey, everybody. Guess what next week is? St. Patrick's Day. How did you know? (laughs) This is just a guess. Did you know that St. Patrick's Day is a religious celebration? I did. Therefore, saint. I never thought about it. You thought it was just a drinking holiday, didn't you? I thought it was just the Lucky Charms holiday. <laughs> the day you go out there and look for three leaf, four leaf clovers. <laughs> three, four leaf clovers? Three, 34 leaf clovers. <laughs> That's what we're going to look for today is 34 leaf clovers. Did you do that when you were a kid, though? I still do it. Like, I would spend hours in the yard looking for a four leaf clover in the clover patches in the yard. Of course, that's back before lawn care was a thing. Jackson School has a bunch um, right there where you park to pick the kids up or take mm-hmm. them in late, whatever. You want to always get out there and look, don't you? Well, I always look when I walk by and like one's going to jump out at me. It might. But usually if I find one, I find more in that same area. I haven't done that in a while. Yeah. We should go do that. <laughs> that we'll be back, fun. y'all. We're going to go find some four-leaf clovers. Some 34-leaf clovers. <laughs> some 34-leaf clovers. <laughs> uh, the one thing I do like about this time of year, though, is you get the green ice cream and the green tea and coffee, and they just turn everything green. Yeah, which, you can get a green milkshake from McDonald's if their ice cream machine's working. Yeah, that never works. And it might be green for reasons other than just St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> we could pull out all of our molded bread and <laughs> get rid of it that day. There you go. I wonder oh, where the green came from, though. I don't know, but remember, um, was it Burger King? They had like green hamburgers one time. Maybe. Or green buns. I don't know. Don't they do green beer too? Yes, they do green beer. And why does St. Patrick's turn into a drinking day? Everything ends up turning into a drinking day. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know if there was a reason. Uh, so what's the what's the significance behind St. Patrick's Day? Why Why do we even have it? I don't know. <laughs> I thought you was going to have an answer for me. Well, let's see. Give me a minute. Wearing green. On St. Patrick's Day, it's customary to wear shamrocks, green clothing, and green accessories. St. Patrick is said to have used the shamrock, a three-leaved plant, to explain the Holy Trinity to the pagan Irish. There you go. So it's actually a holy holiday. That's what I said, religious? Uh, Well, sort of, kind of, yeah. Interesting. Well, through the magic of technology, um, you were able to look that up, and the listeners thought you just knew it right off the top of your head. They could tell I was reading. <laughs> because we edited out all the Googling that happened in between. <laughs> well, I still don't understand, though. All right. Well, you can get into that um, while we listen to the interview. Okay. All but, right. So we have St. Well, Patrick's what, Day. Isn't it out. that if you don't wear green, you get pinched or pinched? Pinched. Pinched. I don't know where that comes from. Well, you can Google that while we listen to the interview. No, I'll just make sure you don't have green on. But it's not four-leaf clovers. So St. Patrick's Day has nothing to do with four-leaf clovers. No, has the four-leaf clovers are good luck. It's probably just because there's not that many of them. It's an anomaly. Like me. Yeah, exactly like you. Okay. But let's don't forget Lucky and the Rainbow Charms. There's, an, you know, that's another thing. They tie all that together. Like, where did the leprechaun come in? And where's the 
the rainbow and the gold at the end of the rainbow. It sounds like you should have done your research before we started recording. No, I didn't. These are questions I don't care about, but they come up. You think they can hear you, you whisper? Hmm? Okay. They come up because you brought it up, but I don't really care about the marshmallow treats. <laughs> okay, then. Okay. Now, so, next. In our ending today, we will tell you a little bit more about St. Patrick's Day. Okay. That sounds exciting. So, our guest today is a Texas stepmom. I wonder if they have clovers in Texas. I'm sure they do. Okay. Texas I bet they got step-mom. some big old clovers because everything's bigger in Texas. <laughs> All right. Remember that pretzel that I had when we were in Texas? That was a big old pretzel. Mm-hmm. So, that was true. But our guest today is not only a Texas stepmom, she is a neurodivergent stepmom. What does that mean? She has autism. Oh, okay. She also has a child that is autistic. So she is a guest today to help us better understand autism and ways that step parents can better. So step parents can have a better understanding when it comes to their stepkids that are autistic because we see a lot of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's. Another challenge is if it's not challenging enough in a step family, and then right. you throw in the dynamics of autism, or you know, there's a lot of other things. But today we're talking about autism. That's you know just another level of a of challenge. And there again, when it's your kid, you're a lot more able to deal with it and the challenges that are there. But when it's somebody else's kid, when it's your step kid, man, <laughs> it's a lot harder to deal with. Well, and I didn't realize this. Something I learned when talking to her is either her or her son, I think it's her, has ADD or ADHD and autism. Hmm. I guess in my head, I'm thinking you couldn't have both because I'm thinking autistic people are more reserved for the most part and ADHD people are off the chain. Like you. Well, like my sister was when she was little. You're not ADHD. You're just HD. (laughs) (laughs) High definition. Okay, we'll go with that. Yeah. I, you know, um, when we were little, my sister, they didn't call it ADHD or ADD back then. It was hyperactivity. Mm-hmm. And so mama had all of us tested. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? I know. So, of course, all of us had hyperactivity based off the test, but different degrees of it. Mm-hmm. Courtney's was more of a physical hyperactivity that's funny she would run around the backyard for hours what happened to her she got tired eventually (laughs) now she's got no activity that's right she went from hyperactive to no active she used it all up (laughs) but she does do the workouts in the morning well yeah she don't listen does she i hope not (laughs) (laughs) somebody's gonna be like let me find her sister and we're gonna tell her about this (laughs) but you think about it and um now, you got to remember, though, this was a long time ago. This was. Oh, yeah. This is back in. How are you? It's back in the We're 30s, not talking 40s? about how old I am, but <laughs> we'll just say that this was about 35 years ago when Woo! this happened. This and is before color TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's when you had the 13 stations and you had to click and. Thir- you had 13? Well, that's what it said on the numbers thing. Dude, I had. We didn't three. really have 13. It was probably three. Yeah, I had three stations. Yeah. And y'all remember the rabbit ear antenna where you'd turn it and it'd be, and, and, and. Let me tell you, 
we had as a kid, I had to climb up on top of the house <laughs> and turn the antenna until we got to station because the little power antenna thing, you know, we didn't have that for a while. What? We didn't have all that money you had. Your daddy was a pharmacist. My that, daddy worked in the mill. <laughs> that was dangerous. I know. But you had to watch TV and you could only get those channels if you turned the little antenna on the house. It wasn't like you just turned a channel and you got the station. So y'all didn't have the rabbit ear thing. It's not even a rabbit ear thing. It was the box to turn the antenna we outside. eventually got one, but not initially. So your mom would just holler outside at you? That's good, David. Yeah. Well, after a few times, you kind of know exactly where to turn it. So you'd be like, what station do you want? I'll climb on top oh of the house. Oh, my and- <laughs> We had like the ladder, the aluminum ladder that leaned up against the house was like a permanent stationary. Like it didn't. A permanent stationary? <laughs> it was a permanent fixture. Uh-huh. <laughs> we didn't move it for years until we had to because people were always up and down on top of the house. And think about how impatient we are now. <laughs> like, you know, I hate live TV. I have to DVR everything. Could you imagine if to change the station, I had to get Jackson to go out there and turn the antenna? You I would can't rot. even get Jackson to turn the channel with the remote. <laughs> now, now. Be nice. You know, Look, he will call you from his room. He will call you to come to his room to turn the TV off because he's laying in his bed. That is not true. True. That is not true. He hasn't had a TV he will call working you, TV in there for years. He will call you to come down the hall to close his door because he doesn't no. want to stand up from his desk. No. He's three feet away and close no. the door. Liar. Who are you calling a liar? Uh, who's, who are you talking about? I didn't say nothing. You did. <laughs> You're being bad. All right. Anyway. All right. So that's so, our blast from the past. Yeah, our blast from the past. But it's very interesting to talk to the stepmom from Texas. Um I struggled with remembering the neurodivergent. Yeah. I thought I meant you had a split personality. No. <laughs> but that's apparently what they group autism and um, Asperger's and all that into now. Hmm. It's neurodivergent. Interesting. And then there's neurotypical. So if you don't have autism or any of these other things, then you're neurotypical. Okay. Are there anything else besides those two? Oh, I'm sure, but those are the only two I remember right now. (laughs) All right. So, for all of you step parents that have stepkids that are neurodivergent, please feel free to reach out to us and let us know if this was helpful to you. All right. You ready to get to listening? Get to listening. And David's going to look up stuff on St. Patrick's Day. Yes, he is. Quit whispering. They can't hear you whisper. They can hear me whisper. They cannot hear you whisper. You can't hear. When I edit it out, it just looks like nothing. So I. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, here is a word about the Academy, and then we'll get into some divergent stuff. Neurodivergent, David. Yeah, that's what I meant. There is a way to save your sanity and your relationship, and it's called the Nacho Kids Academy. In the Nacho Kids Academy, you will learn the skills and knowledge to properly nacho, techniques to handle step-family challenges, ways to improve your communication, and much, much more. Visit nachokidsacademy.com and sign up today to join other step-parents who are seeing the life-changing benefits of nachoing. Again, that's nachokidsacademy.com. Today, we have the Texas Stepmom. Hey, Texas Stepmom, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. 
So tell us a little bit about your blend. How long have you been blending? Um, about five years. Um, I am not married yet. We should be getting married um, in the in the spring, late winter, early spring of 2020. We met in 2014. I met his daughter when she was seven, and she's now 13. Um, blend has been going on and off, you know. Um, let's see. I have a bio son who is 19. He does not have any uh, contact with um, his bio father. So he lives with us full time and we have stepdaughter um, half and half. Okay. And so do y'all do with the stepdaughter complete 50-50 exchange one Monday and the next Monday kind of thing? It's very even, but it's also somewhat fluid. Um Beyonce and bio mom do kind of work together. If someone has to go out of town, it's pretty much, you know, and she's allowed to come and go, you know, if there's, if there's something, um, for some reason she wants to be here or at her mother's, that's fine. But at the same time, we kind of also, um, have a boundary where, you know, if there's something we're doing, then no, that's not fine. Right. So you said things have kind of been on and off. Um, blending's kind of like a roller coaster, isn't it? Oh, it sure is. <laughs> yeah. And I'm definitely in a nacho supreme state of mind at the moment. Well, what brought you to being in a nacho supreme state of mind? Just the stress of the blend? It was because things were getting a little bit stressful with me and my fiance. And a lot of our conversations had to do with um, the stepdaughter. So, um, of course, I read the book Step Monster, and and I and not only did I do that, I, I read a lot. I am an information junkie. Um, I actually have a hard time putting books down or stopping myself from researching. Mm-hmm. One of my traits, but um, I, I tend to get focused on a subject, and I can get focused on a subject without necessarily mean, having a personal meaning to it. Well. Let me try to explain that better. Um, so I was interested in the dynamics of our step family. And I started researching, not generally just to fix it, but just out of sheer curiosity about how these things work. Um, so I kind of went down a rabbit hole and I researched not just about step families, but about um, child development and adolescence and um, things like that so that I would understand where everyone is coming from. And I just kind of pieced it together. And um, then I decided that stepping back would just be the best thing for me to do. And I, I also did it for my sanity. Um, I just didn't like how I was feeling. Mm-hmm. And so I took my life back and I said, I'm not going to get stressed about this anymore. There are so many more positive things I could be doing than letting a 13-year-old child get under my skin. Yeah. And it's not easy to nacho, but once you Mm -hmm. start doing it and continue to do it, it gets a lot easier because what you're doing is breaking a bad habit of being too involved. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I know with me, it was almost instantaneous that I felt relief. It was like the weight of the Mm -hmm. world had been lifted off my shoulders. Yeah. Um, And I think the way that I started was to almost just get sort of Mm self-absorbed and just make it all about me. I mean, not to the sense that anyone would have felt, you know, ignored or that I was rebuffing them or anything like that. But I was like, I'm just going to go to the gym and <laughs> I mean, like 
have fun being at home mad. I'm working out. Yeah, there you go. You know, and and going to therapy too. Um, I think I, what I did need to do at first so that I didn't slip back was physically not be in the same space. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was, you know, going out, going to the gym and just, you know, doing things like that. Right. And even just being in the kitchen instead of elsewhere in the in the house and just focusing on my food and, and what I'm doing. So yeah, that, that definitely helps. Yeah. One of the things that we teach in the Nacho Kids Academy is changing your focus because, mm-hmm. you know, what you focus on will grow. So if you're focused on right. everything that the stepkid's doing wrong, then you're never going to mm-hmm. see anything else. Right. Yes, exactly. After after I changed that focus and was able to switch it quickly, um, which, I mean, of course, doesn't always happen. There, there are moments, you know, <laughs> but, right. um, but I, I can still just kind of try to regulate that emotion. And honestly, this is, you know, kind of when I was learning about being autistic. So um, I was sort of having to do this anyway, learning to redirect my focus and, well, what I like to call it and what my therapist has said is finding the eye of the storm instead of being in the storm itself. You know, you're not going to get out of the storm, but you can find the eye of the storm and find your calm. And that's where you try to, where you try to aim to be all the time. And so I was learning that anyway. So yeah, that, that definitely kind of helped me adjust to some step family issues. I like that. I like that phrase. Mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely worked for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so one reason that we have you as a guest is so we can talk about autism. Mm-hmm. And we know there are a lot of step families that the step kids are autistic or what's the, what's the word that I'm supposed to use? Well, um, autistic is not a negative term. Um, there are terms uh, neurodiversity and neurotypical. The, the reason that uh, many autistic people use neurodivergent or neurodiversity is because autism isn't necessarily a handicap. There are so many gifts that autistic people have that neurotypical people don't necessarily benefit from. So in a perfect world, we would be able to see all those differences and not not consider it making special accommodations for someone, but see it more as, oh, you have a different brain that can bring something different to the table. So um, neurodiversity is used because, you know, there are, there are other people like people with ADD, ADHD, and just other learning disabilities that, that um, are cognitive um, disabilities that can fall under... Uh, being neurodivergent, mm-hmm. that neurotypical people just kind of just don't quite get. Well, and even autistic people, they are so different. They're not mm-hmm. all the same. You can't say, okay, everybody that's autistic is quiet. That's not true. Right. Absolutely not. <laughs> you can't say that everybody that is autistic will never be able to live on their own. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't group them like that. That's one thing that is so misunderstood. The spectrum is incredibly misunderstood. People think of it as um, one long line, like here's low and here's high. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it should be more like maybe 10 different lines. And then this line might be at a five and the next line might be at a four. And that's what, that's how you could map an autistic person. 
their communication may be at level one, but they may be understanding so much more than you can ever even know. Mm-hmm. So that's the problem with the spectrum. You have to understand that just because someone doesn't appear to have a, a trait that would be in the DSMV, then that doesn't mean that you get to just assume, oh, you're not really autistic. Right. Someone that's very gregarious, um, people are like, oh, you're just, you're too friendly or you're too um, happy and, and talkative to be autistic. Well, <laughs> you don't know what, what, you know, is going on inside their head. You don't know what it's like for them when they go to work every day, or maybe they can't even work because of some things, you know, and I have also heard it described as how easily other people are able to be around you when it comes to low functioning and high functioning. And again, those are areas, those are different areas. Um, Each, each trait may be a little less easy to be around than others. Mm -hmm. So let's say that there's a stepmom that comes into the picture and mm-hmm. the stepkid is on the spectrum, mm-hmm. and, and she wants to engage with the stepkid with something as simple as asking them to pick up their clothes. Oh, gosh. You know, that's where a lot of behavioral therapy and just observing and seeing what happens, noticing. So, that what's the, you have to also think of the goal. If you've asked the child to pick up their clothes, you want them to pick up their clothes. Mm-hmm. So be very specific. One one trait of autism that, and, and I know we've talked about people being, you know, diverse even within the spectrum, but there are traits that are more likely to be there, um, such as understanding instructions, which is something that I've, I struggle with a little bit, mostly in work situations. I need very specific specific um, instructions. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine for a child, it might even be stressful, pick up my clothes. Okay, then what? What do I do with them? What what, what if I put them in the wrong place? Am I going to get in trouble? Maybe I should just avoid it altogether. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened. That's what could possibly happen in an autistic child's brain. And they're not aware of that, um, that literal type of thinking. Uh, People assume that when they hear that autistic people take things very literally, that that only means that they can't understand metaphors. And that's not how that works. So if I'm a stepmom and I want to tell the kid to pick up their clothes, um, Mm -hmm. of course, we're presuming that the stepmom doesn't nacho because if she nachoed, she would ask the dad to tell the kid to pick up clothes. (laughs) Or ask dad to pick Mm -hmm. them up. So just say I was going to the kid and I said, Mm -hmm. um, Little Johnny, I need you to pick your clothes up and put them in the laundry basket in the bathroom. See, that is a much better way to ask, definitely. Um, because, I mean, then you, you've even eliminated a problem with communication. Communication mm-hmm. is a huge part of being autistic. Uh, so, um, yeah, that would be an excellent way to do it. And to keep things consistent. If that's how you explain it, make sure that laundry basket is always in the bathroom because it could also be very confusing. Oh, the laundry basket was supposed to be in the bathroom. Now what? <laughs> you know, um, it could even be a different thing, like putting a different laundry basket in the bathroom could even be a trigger. Because it confuses them. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's, if you have a neurotypical brain, you don't, I mean, those kind of things, it's difficult, I guess, to think of those things. Right. Because to me, you know, I'm thinking if I tell my son to go put the clothes, pick pick his clothes up and go put them in the basket in the laundry room or in the bathroom, then if he goes in there and it's not in there, I expect him to go find the basket and put them in there and put it back in the bathroom or something, you know. Right. Um, whereas a child that's on the spectrum may stand there and be like, I don't know what to do. Right. Right. And it may seem that they're being defiant. And what happens is they're, while they're trying to figure out the laundry situation, there's so many other things going on. They may hate the way their clothes feel. Um, they ha- may have a sibling that's blasting some music. Um, you know, the TV could just be too loud. Even when a TV is quiet, sometimes I have issues um, being able to even focus on my own thoughts, depending on what type of show is playing. Mm-hmm. But um, So they're trying to filter all this sensory information and then try to make a decision about what to do with this laundry. And they can't even process the thoughts. So you right. can imagine that they're they're headed toward a meltdown. And, and I would think that you also wouldn't want to tell them to do more than one thing at a time. So I wouldn't want to say, little Johnny, pick up your um, clothes, put them in the laundry basket in the bathroom, then go to your room, make your bed, and then I want you to come in here and do the dishes. Would that be overwhelming? That would, <laughs> It probably would be, yeah. It's great to have um, visual aids mm-hmm. instead of written words. So if you have a picture of a laundry basket, that can, if you want to give a sequence, um, of course, this is, you know, depending on an age, um, it's good to have pictures. Um, I know that some people who are autistic tend to be very visual. Uh, I don't know about everyone, of course, but mostly in my experience, then um, visual aids have always helped. I meant to add that I, um, I was a special ed teacher. So um, I'm not sorry, an aide. I was a science teacher. Um, but before that, I worked in special education as a teacher's aide and even worked at a juvenile facility. So, so I have been around, you know, quite a few autistic children and I've seen how different they can really be. Right. And, and I just, I'm just trying to call, you know, call back information about methods I've used at work. Mm-hmm. So you want to be direct. But you yeah. don't want to be harsh with your words because am I right or wrong when I say that the majority of autistic people are more sensitive to tones? So, for instance, if I say, pick up your clothes, that's going to be taken different if I say, hey, little Johnny, um, can you pick your clothes up for me and put them in the bathroom? Not necessarily, because being able to read people can can be a trait of autism. and. And it may not be being able to read people. It may be not knowing how to respond, even if you are reading someone correctly. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is over time, you're creating these negative experiences with people. So yes, if you use a certain tone of voice that you may think is completely nice, mm-hmm. they could have a reaction to that. So um, it's not necessarily 
the tone, because that's sort of a neurotypical way of thinking. If I sound like what most people think is angry, then you'll, you'll respond negatively. But that's not a neurodivergent way of thinking. So, um, yeah, even if you responded and um, you felt that you were being very nice and polite, then because of a negative experience, maybe that child responded the wrong way one time and just kind of logged that information, mm-hmm. um, they could experience that negatively as well. And two, as I said that, I was thinking, well, any child would really respond differently to someone saying, pick up your clothes versus, hey, mm-hmm. if you don't mind, could you? Right. Yeah. Not even a child, an adult. Yeah. You know, That's in true. a work environment, if your boss says, go to this report and I want it in 15 minutes versus, you know, hey, um, I need you to please go do this report and get it back to me in 15 minutes. I mean, that's going to come across completely different. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So when were you diagnosed as being autistic? Um, Let's see. Finally wrote the, I remember my psychiatrist (laughs) doing this. What was it? Um, I'm sorry. I'm actually looking at my calendar. Um, I was listening. (laughs) I actually heard this podcast from an actor. Um who said that he even wrote his um, coming out date. (laughs) So I was like, okay, so this was um, early August, but I have been kind of seeking help for quite some time. I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 16. Um, And of course it made sense. Women and girls don't necessarily show the same types of traits for autism as boys and men. Um, girls and women tend to be able to socialize a little bit better or, uh, well, it's what you call masking. We can pretend. And well, a good example is of how my work life has always gone. Um, I'm able to kind of pose as normal or neurotypical. I like Mm -hmm. to use that word better than normal because, you know, (laughs) Um, but it's like over time, you know, it gets really exhausting to keep it up because you're always questioning like, uh, am I looking strange today or do they, do they suspect something that, um, and I've, and then it's like things just always start to kind of blow up and, um, and it makes me even more stressed. And then I, then I start screwing things up at work and I get called lazy or, uh, uninterested or irresponsible, um, incapable, things like that. That has been my work experience at every single job I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And it is so frustrating because I've tried to explain to people the kinds of help that I need, but it wasn't until I really started understanding autism and understanding myself better that I'm that I can look back and see how much I was masking, you know, um, not asking any questions because I'm like, is that question strange or um, kind of guessing? You know, I, I remember a, a boss telling me, um, I want you to come by for a quick meeting after work or after lunch. And I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> and and I remember stopping because, you know, I'm starting to think of all the details and I don't want to forget anything like because he didn't give me any details. I didn't know what the meeting was for. And so I really started panicking and making just this huge deal. And like, I was starting to make lists 
of things that I might need so that I wouldn't forget. And I remember stopping by after lunch and saying, hey, do I need my laptop for the meeting? And he said, no, come on in. And I was not prepared to have that meeting. I actually just wanted a yes or no question answered. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just a mess. I didn't have, he was asking me questions. I didn't, I wasn't prepared to answer and I didn't know how. And I just looked like I was a mess. But if I had had one hour, if I had known exactly when I was going to have that meeting, it probably would have been fine. So, you know, having to pretend that I know what's going on with people is just exhausting. And so, um, I'm sorry, I forgot your original question there. (laughs) And when I was diagnosed. and um, Yes, that was my question. It's when you were diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's when. And um, I am still not working. I've been trying to start my own business. Um, but I, I'm having a hard time with social things. You know, um, I've really taken some leaps and um, stepped out of my comfort zone quite a few times. So I'm really proud of that. But I, but without really understanding what autism is and knowing what's going on with me, I don't know if I would be able to do that. That's why mm-hmm. it's so important to understand if you have or are caring for a child or anyone with autism, um, you know, under, really understanding what it is and how it shows and, and, and how it affects people later in life. Um, one reason... So many women are not diagnosed until they're older is because of the way it shows differently. So what would you say that a stepmom coming into a situation where the stepkids are autistic or um, they may not even be diagnosed as autistic, but they just don't seem, quote, quote, we're going to use the word normal, you know, to to interaction with them. So, you know, the stepmom may say, Hey, would you like um, tea or juice for supper? And the kid just stands there and they don't respond. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's kind of a, a sign that something's not quote quote normal, right? Right. And you know, there's there are many ways um, that children respond to to questions like that. Some autistic children will just repeat what you said, tea or juice. Mm-hmm. And um, you know. It, I would say keep a journal. I mean, definitely, I would definitely let your know your significant other knows about that. I wouldn't want to, you know, <laughs> be writing things about a stepchild <laughs> mm-hmm. without their bio parents' knowledge. But um, and of course, never anything negative, just observations. So um, one thing that was really helpful, to be honest, was my mother actually kept a behavior journal on me. And I never knew about that, but I read it and I was like, whoa, (laughs) Um, you know, even talking about things where I would line up my toys and didn't really play with them as most children would. Mm -hmm. I just like to line them up and put them in order or group them by color and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So when a child responds oddly to a question, you know, it's okay. I mean, it's, depending on the question, <laughs> um, right. just, just make a note of it and it's, and talk, you know, mention their age and get input from teachers. Um, the more information you can give a psychiatrist, the better. Okay. So information is everything. And 
You know, I don't think it's ever a good idea to, now I could be wrong about this. I don't have this experience, but I'm just thinking that, you know, it, it would be difficult, a difficult situation if a step parent went to a bio parent and said, I think your child is autistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I can see that, you know, creating a whole lot of problems <laughs> and I'm sure you've heard stories like that. Well, yeah, because nobody, nobody wants to think that there mm-hmm. something's wrong with their child mm-hmm. and not right. saying that something's wrong with children with autism. They're just mm-hmm. different. Right. Yeah. They're neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, but you know, that is, I can understand what a difficult situation that would be especially if maybe you're someone who is in education and you see something in a child and you want to help. Um, It's got to be terribly frustrating to not be able to to speak up about it. Mm -hmm. But, well, you know, I think you have to have a healthy relationship to be a healthy step parent. So focusing on your relationship is something that's probably going to help you talk to your um, significant other if there is ever a problem that you see that the child may need help with. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, just um, if you're not getting any kind of um, sense that the bio or the, your significant other, their bio parent is, is interested in um, looking into the situation further, then honestly, I, I'm not sure what, how um, I could help a step parent that way, but I can help with, interpreting and knowing how to take care of yourself, you know, when, when you are um, in that situation. Mm -hmm. So in your opinion, with you Mm -hmm. being diagnosed as being on the spectrum, do you think Mm -hmm. expectations for neurotypical children should be the same expectations for neurodivergent children? Um, I think it depends on the expectation and what that person or child, adult, whoever has shown that they are good at, shown that they what they can excel at and what they can't. I mean, there are many things that autistic people can do um, better than um, neurotypical people. Some of them may have extremely large vocabularies. Um, so I think it really depends on what the expectation is. Now, in um, special education, we like to talk about fairness a certain way. So imagine you have um, three boxes in front of a gate and you, and you have some people that want to go watch a, a baseball game. Now all these boxes are exactly the same height to try to make it fair for everyone. Well, the first person is kind of tall and gets on the box and looks over the fence can see perfectly fine. Next person isn't quite as tall. So they try to look over the fence. They may still have to get on their tippy toes, but they can still kind of see over the fence a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, the third person is really small. And even when they stand on the box and they're jumping up and down, they can't see anything. So if you give everyone the same thing and make everything fair, it's still not. <laughs> right. And, and like you stated, uh, and I like your analogy, is mm-hmm. depending on their height, they're going to see different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, The taller person is going to be able to see a broader view of things than Correct. the you know, medium height person. and even though the medium height person may be able to see what you're wanting them to see, they're not seeing mm-hmm. what's closer to the fence because they don't have that perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. So I do think that there should be accommodations um, for people with differences. But I also think that 
even if a neurotypical person who's not diagnosed with anything is having difficulty, why not give them a taller box? Right. Right. So. Yeah, because everybody's different. Right. You said something interesting about you were diagnosed um, with ADD or ADHD, whichever. um, Yes. Back in the day when you were 16. And then later on, you Mm -hmm. were um, diagnosed with being on the spectrum. Yeah. Well, even before, in between there, um, at my last job, when I started having difficulties, I started to go, I went to a psychiatrist and, or a psychologist, I'm sorry. And I was just so tired of the, of the cycle. And I finally started asking, I was like, what is going on with me? And this was maybe a couple of years ago. And at the time we, we had just, we were talking about sensory processing disorder and, you know, having ADHD, but then on top of that, also having sensory processing disorder, um, which it made sense. But, you know, I just felt like there was still a little piece of the puzzle kind of missing. Um, and I'm, I'll explain sensory processing disorder. There are so many types that, well, you can have um, motor sensory processing disorder. I can tell you that I run into walls a lot. Um, I have bruises. I don't know where they come from. <laughs> um, you can also have um, auditory processing disorder, which is something I deal with also. Um, I, have, I have some noise sensitivity. Um, and it can be not just necessarily loud noise, but certain noises. And they just make my skin crawl. Um, I have a bit of tactile sensory disorder because, um, well, I have certain clothing I just cannot wear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like anything too high on my neck. Um, I can't layer my clothes. makes it a little bit difficult in winter. But um, I end up having to take a heavy coat with me, but I'll wear a tank top underneath it. And then I have to bring a cardigan or sweater so that I can take my coat off, put that somewhere, then, then put the right sweater on. <laughs> but right. you can imagine getting ready to go somewhere in the morning. And I'm like, okay, I have to have my wardrobe with me. <laughs> I have to have a change of shoes just in case mm-hmm. my socks get wet. I need to bring a change of socks. And it, I usually have, you know, kind of a, a pile of clothes in the, in the trunk of my car. I think everybody should have a change of clothes in the car because you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But, you know, it's just another thing that a neurodivergent person would think of more likely than a neurotypical person. You know, most people I know get dressed and they leave the house. That's it. Right. There's not that much thought process into it. No, it's exhausting. Um, But yeah, so more about sensory processing. And, um, you know, it can be visual, just basically all of your senses, but, you know, including motory, I'm sorry, motory, motor, (laughs) motor processing. I like motory myself. (laughs) Motory. (laughs) Yeah, with my auditory. Um, it's, like I said, it's not just loud noises, but I kind of feel them physically. And it's, it's like, sometimes it causes like that adrenaline rush, you know, like when you've been in a, in a near fender bender and you're like, whew. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I hear a noise, especially if I'm not expecting it, that's how, how much it affects me where I'm, I'll feel a little shaky, like. I've had an adrenaline rush, um, but 
my brain also cancels out noise or there are times when I can't cancel anything out at all. So that's probably the auditory is probably the one that gives me the most trouble. Mm-hmm. You can imagine when I was a teacher and I had to be in the lunchroom, I wanted to cry. <laughs> um, I pretty much just hid under my desk during a pep rally. I'm like, please don't make me do it. Mm-hmm. And I felt really bad. I wanted to be supportive, but I, there's just no, no, I couldn't do it. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's why I started, you know, seeking out some help on what is going on. And even socially, I just felt like, why can I not mix with the group? I just can't connect or it seems like I'm not doing, you know, what everyone else is doing. And I don't know why it looks so easy for them. Right. So, you know, I've, I kind of understood that and, and I talked with my boss and everything and, and explained um, what was going on with me. But like I said, it just wasn't, it wasn't quite the whole picture mm-hmm. because it wasn't necessarily taking care of the, the social part of things that was difficult for me. Now, help me understand the motory part of it. <laughs> the motory? <laughs> the motor- I said it too, didn't I? I said motory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, this one, I have... <laughs> I have an adult, like I said, I am a little bit clumsy. It's it's basically not always easy for me to find my space, like physical space in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I break things easily. I just, you know, it's like my brain doesn't necessarily judge correctly how hard I'm closing a door or, um, you know, how close I am to a wall. <laughs> so it's not visual, as far as like your depth perception that's causing these issues? Not necessarily. It's, it's like, um, well, I think it's probably all of it together. Like I don't, I can't give you like a scientific understanding of it, more of an experience of it, but I don't mm-hmm. really, I haven't experienced, well, I haven't heard a lot of other people talk about experience with it, is, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it's just because children tend to kind of be clumsy. <laughs> and so we don't really separate that as an autistic trait. Right. But it can be. Um, And I honestly think that if I had not been in dance and gymnastics as a kid, that I would probably have some issues (laughs) right now. (laughs) You know, it's probably a really good thing. Uh, um, Some therapy for autistic children is to do fine motor tasks while balancing on a board. And, and you can even order these boards online. It's like they have a ball and then they have like a little platform around the ball and the child will um, stand on it and try to balance and then play a video game, you know, do some kind of motor skill. Is it kind of like those exercise things that you see that the balls cut in half, one side's a platform and one yeah. side's a ball? Okay. Exactly. Girl, I, I, <laughs> I, could, I probably couldn't do that. I know, but um, I think, you know, you can assist the child. So, but, you know, it's really important for them to, to get, um, to be able to just connect their body to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, One of, when I was doing some therapy for auditory processing disorder, um, my therapist had me listen to a CD on headphones of classical music but it would sort of sound like, let's say you had a four-string quartet playing, but then all of a sudden it sounds like the cello is in another room with the door closed. So like mm-hmm. 
some of the sounds would kind of go in and out and it helps to train the brain to process those things quickly to um, just to understand, you know, what's going on. And um, at the same time, I would do a breathing exercise and watch a um, animation of a ball going up and down and try to focus Mm -hmm. my breathing at the same time. And it was very helpful. I think that's something that you need to do continuously, which unfortunately I'm not able to do at the moment, but there are so many different types of therapy and you can even do these at home. I would definitely recommend getting a um, behavioral therapist um, Mm -hmm. or an occupational therapist, both, and and having um, them come over and show you how to to work with a with a child. Mm-hmm. There are just many things you can do. Right now, what's your biggest struggle? Do you th- well? Do you think you have a harder time being a step parent because of you being on the spectrum? Because you don't understand maybe the cues that the stepdaughter is putting off. You don't understand them like someone that's not on the spectrum would. Definitely. Um. Yeah. I. I think it's mainly because of my experience as an autistic person being having been her age before and absolutely not being able to relate because I was such a different person than she is. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it just kind of is strange to me. The, you know, just I, it's even hard for me to communicate to you because it's something it's, I feel like I understand what, what's not connecting, but but it's hard for me to explain that in words. Um, and it's not just that we have different personalities. It's just such a different way of thinking about things. And I'm like, I would never do that. <laughs> and I probably because, you know, I wasn't that fond of teenagers, even when I was one. <laughs> so, um, I always liked adults much better than people my age. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think I spent a whole lot of time with people my age, or at least I tried to avoid it as much as possible. I liked my teachers. I loved my teachers. I, I really liked learning. So I would skip the lunchroom to go hang out in the library. I was definitely nerdy. I mean, I did <laughs> some social things, but you know, it, they always kind of worked out like they did it at my future job. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the masking and and I think people thought that I was a little strange and just didn't want to do the same things they wanted to do and so you know I had a hard time having friends so when I'm hearing about troubles with friendships or something from not from the stepdaughter but you know you know things like that with young people I'm like I don't get it like why don't you just do this <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know I don't say that because um, I'm you know nacho <laughs> <laughs> right. But um yeah, I I just have a hard time relating. Um one thing my therapist told me to to think of is behavior as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, then then again, I'm like, okay, research time. <laughs> and, um so I'm I'm learning what's typical and what's not. And that helps me take things a lot less personally or mm-hmm. feel confused, or like I have a better solution. <laughs> you know, that's, that's one of my traits for sure. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, there are those people who like, oh, I know how to fix that. Just do this. Like advice givers, those kind of people. 
Mm-hmm. Well, by the time I say something, I've probably typically written a three-page report on it. And like, hey, like that's something I would actually do. <laughs> like, so I've been researching this thing that happened last month for the entire month, and I wrote a three-page, um, you know, summary and some possible solutions here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, um, fiance calls me uh, Dig Dug. I don't know if you've seen that um, that uh, video game where this yes. guy digs tunnels and that's all he does mm-hmm. just digs tunnels that's that's pretty accurate <laughs> that's what i do yeah i'm in constant information seeking mode mm-hmm. but yeah i think that's kind of where we disconnect is that i just i just don't understand from from her experience i mean i i have a human experience um and my parents were divorced they weren't divorced till i was about 19 i think though Um, and their divorce never even bothered me. Mm -hmm. I just didn't really, I didn't, I didn't take it personally. (laughs) I just didn't really care. And, and so that's another thing that I I guess I just don't quite understand. Um, yeah, that's, but I mean, I, I do understand it. I can, I can sympathize, but it's definitely not my experience. Right. Now, what are three things that you feel step parents should know about step kids that are autistic? Um, Hmm. I think understanding that they are not like other autistic children. They are individuals. Um, even within the same family, if you have two autistic children, they're, they could be completely different. Um, let's see. The next thing, what may logically make sense to you may not work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just learning as much as you can about that child and trying as much as you can to think like a neurodivergent person. Um, However, you can do that best. Mm -hmm. Just sort of planning ahead. Um, One thing also is understanding meltdowns. Okay. Let's talk about meltdowns. When when an autistic person has a meltdown, and of course it can look different ways. Sometimes children will just go silent. Um, Some will just collapse on the floor at the grocery store and start screaming. Um, some will even self-injure and it's, it's a way, and it can be very scary to see. Um, I used to bite my arm when I was little and my parents couldn't figure that one out. (laughs) Instead of being an ankle biter, like a dog, you were an arm biter. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I would bite my own arm and I just, I was so overwhelmed. I was having a meltdown and it was the only way I, I don't know why. I, I connected to my body that way, but, but that's what, what is going on. So understanding what a meltdown is versus a tantrum is really important. Mm-hmm. If a kid is crying because they can't have a toy, if you give them that toy, they're probably going to stop crying. But if an autistic children has asked for a toy and then starts crying and cannot find that center again, it's because they're having a meltdown. It's not because mm-hmm. of the toy. If that was just the last straw. <laughs> and you know, uh, there's just a difference. Right. So punishing for meltdowns, you know, it's it's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. How would you suggest that the meltdowns be handled? You know, I think that's probably one of the most difficult parts of being a parent with autistic children because you just kind of have to ride it out and keep them safe. Mm-hmm. There's not much else you can do. I mean, definitely learn strategies. 
um, you know, um, you can ask a therapist about calming strategies. You know, teachers would even be good people to ask because they've been through that training. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, emergency talking. To, I'm, I cannot remember the exact phrase, but um, you know, like kind of like damage control. <laughs> and right, um, there are certain things you do. You you do watch your tone of voice. Um, don't say what's wrong with you. Okay. Tell them they're okay. Say you're okay. And I think I know the answer to this, but 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 why would you not say what's wrong with you? Because they're already trying to process so much, and there can be lots of shame with feeling well, not being able to really process your own feelings, and that pressure to like, oh, they need an answer right now, but I can't even handle my own self right now. It, that it's just not a great thing to ask, you know, for anybody to be honest. When someone's having a breakdown, it's not the time to get them to analyze their emotions. <laughs> and it's best to just get them to a calm place. So just tell them you are okay. You're safe. I'm here. I mean, I think you'd be okay depending on the age. Say, what do you need? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, make sure that you have a plan. If you're at the grocery store and you've got a little bitty baby and then you have a, a six-year-old autistic having a meltdown, you need to have a plan and, you know, someone that's going to be available, um, you know, ask for help. Mm-hmm. So whatever that plan is, like, you know, have a, a text code like that, that may say ASD exclamation mark. Ex- I'm sorry, I can't talk. Exclamation mark. That means mm-hmm. autistic spectrum disorder exclamation. This is an emergency. Call me now. Um, right. So just having that plan. So, but sometimes you may just need to, to sit there in the middle of the store mm-hmm. and just keep them safe and ignore people when they stare at you with, with terrible looks. Right. Because they don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and you can tell people also, you know, there may be people that want to be helpful. Um, and oh, another thing that that's a good idea to do is, of course, this is also age dependent. You can have a card for the child to carry that says, I am autistic. When I have a meltdown or, or, you know, can put, you can word it differently. Um, if this happens, this is what I need. You can order these online. And, you know, then the child, all that, all that child has to do is give that card to someone that they trust. They do have bracelets and stuff for that too, right? Um, I've never seen bracelets. That's more for medical, like, um, you know, conditions um, like diabetes or something. But, you know, the card actually tells people what to do and how to help them and who to call. So, you know, I think that that's a really good idea. You know what? Maybe it was a seatbelt cover. Yes. There have been seatbelt covers in case um, there's an accident. Right. Then the, the, the responders know exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good idea. I think that's genius. Mm-hmm. And, but it's one of those things that should just be so obvious. <laughs> yeah. Like, why didn't I think of that? Well, you and I talked about something else that I want to touch on before we end our podcast here. And that was benevolent sexism. Yes. And um, <laughs> the reason I, I talk about this is this has been one of my rabbit holes <laughs> that, that <laughs> I've gone down quite a bit. Um, when I was in college, I, I took um, classes in women's studies. Uh, I have a degree in psychology, and so I took women's studies and some child development um, things. And I just I'm always asking questions, and especially in women's studies. And at the same time, I was taking a um, a course 
called Sex, Religion, and Prehistory, which mm-hmm. is basically how sexism began. And it is a fascinating story. If you'll read a book from Dr. Robert McElvain called Eve's Seed, it's, it's a very fascinating look um, okay. at all of those things. But um, so I started understanding, you know, it's, it's obvious what sexism is. If a woman's mm-hmm. not paid as much as a man and she can do the same work, that is sexism. But sexism is held up and supported by benevolent sexism. Those are the things that seem kind of nice and, you know, and can be intentional or unintentional, typically unintentional. Um, things like if you're writing a bio about a woman that's new to a workplace, it's probably it could possibly not sound the same as a man. It could say, could talk about how cheery and bubbly and sweet she is. And she's just the friendliest person. (laughs) And, um, you know, when you, when you read one about a man, it might say, you know, a list of what he's been successful in. And, you know, it's hard to think of those things because, oh, well, you just wrote a nice paragraph about the woman. That's all. Mm -hmm. But it is playing into the idea that women are a certain stereotype, which is why I feel that nachoing can be difficult for some stepmothers. Um, If she's with a partner who sort of has these benevolent sexist ideas that women are just natural nurturers, that um, we're supposed to be the ideal mother, um, you know, I can understand how this man might think. And, you know, some women hold up these ideas too um, because, you know, lots of people don't study sexism. Mm-hmm. I, I study everything. So <laughs> I just, um, but to really understand where sexism comes from is so important, I think, in rearing children and um, especially stepchildren because you, you need to understand the relationship you have with your partner. Um, and if you, if you take on the role of stepmother, you've got to figure out what kind of role you want. Mm-hmm. But you're also having to live up to the expectations of what your partner wants you to be. So I can understand how that benevolent sex, sexism can um, you know, play a part in that. And I think when people understand what it is and how it harms, then maybe we can start having conversations about that. You know, don't think of me as a nurturer. What if I'm better at paying the bills? Mm-hmm. You know, um, so what if I'm not a great cook? Maybe I'm better at doing something else. Um, you know, a woman could be better at patching the roof. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. And, um, you know, I've, I've even, I, I remember being late to work because I had a flat tire and I changed my own tire. And I guess a coworker saw me, um, didn't stop, but <laughs> which is fine. I'd rather not stop because I can change my own tire. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got to work, they said, girl, I cannot believe you were changing your own tire. She's like, <laughs> I'm like, why is that shocking? You know, and just the idea that I, I wouldn't be able to do that, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I drive a big I have a Jeep, so it's like, uh, <laughs> it's not little teeny tires. <laughs> I'm like hurling that thing in the, <laughs> in the trunk and like, off we go, done. 
And I, I enjoy doing stuff like that. I'm the one who mows the lawn. Um, I like physical work. Mm-hmm. What about your significant other? He's awesome. He, he will help clean. Now, he's a feminist. And I'm so happy <laughs> that he's a feminist. Um, he's so supportive. And I think that's why our nacho relationship, well, one of the reasons um, our relationship was more successful after nachoing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he doesn't expect me to be anything other than who I am. And um, he takes, he doesn't, we're a pretty gender neutral health. So he doesn't expect anyone to do the job of a man or do the job of a woman. That doesn't even have meaning in this house. Um, right. You know, while I'm out there mowing the lawn, he may be doing the laundry. So, mm-hmm. and then it's reversed. Um, so yeah, we're, we're pretty gender neutral. There's, there's no expectation for that. There's no expectation that I cook dinner, but you know, I, I actually love to cook. So I'm like, get out of my kitchen. <laughs> I'm doing this. Um, so yeah, we're just, we're just very neutral that way. And so mm-hmm. I think there's much more support without saying, what kind of woman are you? What kind of mom are you? How can you not be a mom? I'm like, well, like this. Right. Yeah. It's kind of hard to, figure out basically what everybody's wanting from a stepmom. And that's one thing that we try to tell people before you get married or, Mm -hmm. you know, move in together, talk with your significant other and say, Hey, Mm -hmm. what do you see my role in this blend as being? Because if they say, I want you to play mommy, then Mm -hmm. you can go, Oh, hang on. I don't think that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Or you can say, okay, well, what does that look like to you? Right, right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a better way to put it is, okay, well, what does me playing mommy look like to you? Does that mean that if little Johnny um, talks back to me, I can put him in time out? Or does that solely mean that you expect me to feed them, bathe them, make sure their homework's done, but refrain from the, the disciplinary part? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So you need clear understandings of what each other's expectations are. Right. And, you know, I, I think depending on the child, I don't even think it would be so bad for a bio parent to say, well, okay, what are your expectations of what a step parent is? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can, I mean, I don't know if that would work out well. It may be for them to disappear. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you never know. It depends on the child and the situation and their age. Um, but, you know, I don't think... We just don't ask each other details. Mm-hmm. That is one. Of the, and I think part of my neurodivergent brain benefits is that I see missing details all the time. I've had to learn to not say it um, because it comes across as really um, know-it-all, kind of bossy. And, and, from, and from my perspective, I'm, I'm doing it out of fascination. Like, oh, my gosh, I've learned this. I really want to share it. You know, and... And that's where I'm coming from. But, you know, when I start spouting off, well, here's why this is going wrong, blah, 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 blah. Here's how you can fix it. It sounds really controlling and a little bit crazy sometimes. So I've learned to just kind of be okay with, you know, everyone else not focusing quite as much on details. Um, right. But, you know, that that is one of the things that benefits me as far as the way that I go about my life is that I see things that are getting missed. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, it does. 
Mm-hmm. It does mm-hmm. make sense. And um, just my own need for clarification. I, I think I'm more likely to be that way with other people. Um, you know, what, what I've talked to my fiance about how to talk to my son and not, not, be, not being like, you better talk to him this way or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and, and they actually get along really, really well. <laughs> so I'm glad about that. But, um, you know, fiance is, he's, he's the kind of person that would, you know, knock on the door, uh, garbage needs to go out. And when I ask him to do that, I do it so much differently. I'm like, Hey son, um, I need you to get the garbage out, pull the bin and don't forget to replace the bag. Mm-hmm. That's just how I talk to people. Uh, I just give yeah. more detail. Yeah. Yeah. I can see where, um, I can come across as harsh sometimes, um, you know, at, at work, I'd be like, hey, I, you know, you need to do this or you need to do that. And it's not intentional. It's just mm-hmm. I don't have um, the habit of sugarcoating things, I guess, or, um, mm-hmm. you know, saying, hey, can you please do this? So, I, I mean, I can come across as bossy. I know I can. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean it that way at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one thing I need to be careful about is understanding that every once in a while I'm actually wrong. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I do tend to get so wrapped up in information that, you know, I'm like, I know I sound a bit like a contradiction when I say this, but trust me, that's another part of autism. <laughs> yeah. um, that, you know, I, when I'm looking for details so intensely, there's a few that I can miss, you know, and it might be that little one that, that could actually make me understand the whole picture. But I just get, you know, I get so intensely focused and interested in something and I'm going to try to find every piece of information about it. I even have just the hardest time tearing myself away. Um, I think, I think that's definitely helped our family situation um, as far as my relationship with my fiance. But um, I had to just kind of let it go when it came to getting along with the stepdaughter, because just because you have information doesn't make you can, doesn't mean that you can make everyone use it. Right. And, and that's something I didn't think about. You said something about um, sounding contradictory in your statements mm-hmm. and that being part yes. of your autism. You want to explain yeah. that a little bit more? Sure. It's just that the way that I think and the way that I may present myself or act may be a little bit different sometimes. Um, I have a very complicated inner world. I'm always thinking a lot. <laughs> and um, so I, I, can, I can be a certain way for a while. It's not that I'm changing myself, but if I've learned new information, I try to adapt it. So sometimes, you know, I change my mind and then I can, I can seem a little, or I've learned a new detail or I've learned a new piece of information. Like just when we were talking about that, I was like, you know, I just said that, I'm very detail oriented, but I was thinking the whole time we were talking or that I mm-hmm. was talking about that. And then I realized, I was like, you know, sometimes there's details that I miss. So it may seem like I'm a little contradictory sometimes, but it's more that I'm evolving. So, and I just, I see myself do that sometimes. Well, is it that you're evolving or maybe you just have the ability to see things differently. I think both. Like maybe mm-hmm. you can see both sides of the situation where a lot of people can't. I usually see 10 sides. 
Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, you know, when people say that autistic people are not empathetic or, you know, can't pick things up easily, mm-hmm. I understand that. And that is true. However, we're, you're, you're usually making an observation. You can't hear people's thoughts. So, oh goodness, my brain. Come on, brain. Stick with it. <laughs> See, it's going to, to 10 different directions right now. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I can't pull the right information out because there's so much of it. Um, let's see. Like if someone asks me a question, I may take, well, I, I typically take a little bit longer to process because sometimes I'm, I'm having to, I've already t- I thought of, you know, 10 different solutions for whatever this question is. And mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm having to judge what they meant by it. But that's why my brain does that because I, right. I haven't, I haven't decided on what this person wants from me. And so my brain just starts thinking of all these different things. And then not only do I have to assess what this person wants, but then I have to pull out the right answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it can be, that can be very tiring. Yes, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, I think that's one reason that people talk about autistic people being shut off sometimes or, um, you know, n- uh, non-communicative and things like that. So you, mm-hmm. It's just that there's such a busy inner world going on. It's hard to connect the right one with the rest of the world. Right. Well, I know blending is hard on a good day with, um, what's that word again? Neurotypical. <laughs> there we go. With neurotypical mm-hmm. stepkids, mm-hmm. Um, I can yeah. only imagine how much more difficult it is with neurodivergent. Look at there, me using big words, um, mm-hmm. kids. But um that's one thing I was going to ask you before we got off here. Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't realize that autistic children could also have ADD. Yes, that's so. No, I don't know why I didn't realize that or why I would think they couldn't. Most autistic people have ADD and SPD. I mean, that's pretty much a given. Mm-hmm. Um, that is part of autism. However, you can have ADD or SPD without being autistic. Okay. So I hope that answered your question. Yes, it does. Okay, good. I I guess maybe you think of autistic children as being more reserved and you think of more ADD or ADHD children as being more hyper. Even that's something I don't think people understand. Um, People with ADHD can even hyper focus and Mm -hmm. just kind of be in their own little world, be quiet, uh, which is you know, how mine usually represents. I'm typically not hyper. Um, when I'm feeling a little more hyperactive, it's, it's more that I just really need a lot of physical activity during the day. I cannot do a desk job. <laughs> I would go insane. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I haven't sat down once <laughs> while we're talking. I'm always moving. And yeah. that's just how my, I guess, hyperactivity represent or um, presents itself. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it... ADHD doesn't always look like someone running around in circles at the playground. That's not how it always looks. Right. Um, it can even be like a behavioral hyperactivity and not necessarily a physical, um, like verbally talking really fast or something like that. Right. Well, 
the Texas stepmom, we really appreciate you being a guest on our podcast. Um, like I said, we've got a lot of step parents that are trying to navigate the blend with stepkids that mm-hmm. are on the spectrum. And mm-hmm. I know that them hearing this will help them realize things that they can do a little differently to better interact with the stepkids. Right. I hope so, too. Well, thank you again. And I'm sure that we'll talk to you soon. All right. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Well, I don't know about you, but I learned a lot about neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. And we know some people that are neurodivergent, but this helped me understand a little bit more. We'll tell you a quick story about um, a friend of my son's that spent the night with us a couple of times. Oh, here we go. I'll throw David under the bus. <laughs> and um, his mom was having some health issues, so he stayed with us. And... So one night, David tells the little boy to go get in the shower. <laughs> and the little boy's like, no, I only take showers on Wednesdays. And David's like, what? And he's like, I only take showers on Wednesdays. And David's like, no, that's not true. And told him to go get in the shower. I don't know that I said it wasn't true. I think I said more like, I don't really care. <laughs> take one anyway. Yeah, I think that is what you said. <laughs> so I don't recall if the kid came out with wet hair or anything. He may have just ran the shower and made us think he was taking a shower. But after I talked to his mom, I said, yeah, he told us that he only took showers on Wednesday. And he, she said, yeah, he's got sensory issues to water. I'm like, oh my gosh, we are horrible people. <laughs> but she didn't tell us any of that. <laughs> I know. Don't put your kid in the care of somebody else if they got special things they should know about them. <laughs> well, you can put them in the care of somebody else. Just tell them. That's what I just said. <laughs> no, you said don't put them in the care. Okay. Don't make me go back and listen again. (laughs) But anyway, um, so that was kind of funny. And I was like, I'm so sorry. She's like, it's okay. Yeah. She wasn't very bent out of shape about it. (laughs) And I will tell you that she has more expectations and puts more responsibility on this child than most parents of neurotypical kids. Mm Mm-hmm. She expects a lot out of him. She wants to make sure that he can live on his own when she's no longer around and that he can take care of himself. Yep. But he's an awesome kid and we're very glad to know him. (laughs) He's funny too. He is funny. He is hilarious. But the funny, I think the funny part about it is he's not trying to be funny, which makes it funnier. Right. I remember riding down the road that day and he said, if it wasn't for Carolina Christian Academy, I'd be in juvenile jail. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. He's a funny kid. We enjoy him. All right. A little bit more on St. Patrick's Day. All right. Go. The tradition is, if you don't wear green, you get pinched. Pinched. Or as we say in South Carolina, pinched. All right. The tradition is tied to folklore that says wearing green makes you invisible to leprechauns, which like to pinch anyone they can see. <laughs> Some people also think sporting the color will bring good luck, and others wear it to honor their Irish ancestry. Okay. So that's where the leprechaun comes in. So if you're running around pinching people, then you're acting like a leprechaun. Yeah, but it makes me think leprechauns are mean. They are mean. You didn't see the movie? No. Oh, you should see it. They're no. Like, they're like little trolls under the bridge. Well, I just Googled it, of course. <laughs> and Wikipedia, you know. Yeah, they're always correct. Mm-hmm. It says, according to David Russell McNally, McAnally, the leprechaun is the son of an evil spirit and degenerate fairy, mm-hmm. and is not wholly good 
nor wholly evil. So he's mixed. Sound like your son. David. (laughs) (sighs) So what's a leprechaun's purpose? To run around and pinch people. Why? Because they're not wearing green. So he's promoting the green, the wearing of the green. He's promoting the wearing of the green? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. He's he's just an evil little thing running around causing problems. Like I said, he's like your son. Well, (laughs) according to Wikipedia, they are usually depicted as little bearded men wearing a coat and a hat who partake in mischief. They are solitary creatures who spend their time making and mending shoes and have a hidden pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. If captured by a human, they often grant three wishes in exchange for their freedom. So they're little cobblers, like elves. Maybe I wonder if they, so. Instead of baking cookies, they fix shoes. How about that? Who makes cookies? The Keebler elves. Oh, I was thinking of Santa's elves. <laughs> no, they make toys. Yeah, but they might make shoes too. No, leprechauns make shoes. So okay. the next time you go and buy those those boots on sale that you got, you know. Yeah, my boots. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank the leprechauns. Well, guess what, David? Please don't tell me you got another pair. No, I didn't. Not yet. I need to go check their sales. But look, what do you think a leprechaun's weakness is? Hmm. Well, it can't be gold. I don't know. Beer. A four-leaf clover. Oh, now it all makes sense. How ironic. So that's why you have to pick a four-leaf clover. So you don't get pinched by the leprechauns. Right. But wait a minute. If you catch a leprechaun, you can get three wishes. So if you don't wear green, that means a leprechaun can see you, can see you, then come try to pinch you, and then you can try to capture it. Yeah. So then you would not wear green, right? Right. And not have a four-leaf clover. But you'd get pinched and get three wishes. So that you can try to capture the leprechaun. Who's going to give you the wishes? And apparently they have money at the end of a rainbow, which have you ever tried to get to the end of a rainbow? Yeah. <laughs> you have? I have. Please tell me you have. I have. <laughs> it don't work. It disappears. <laughs> Let me guess. You're the girl in the yard with a water hose squirting a mist up in the air so you can produce your own rainbow so that you can then try to find the end of it. No, I would see them <laughs> driving down the road and I'd try to find it. And then you would drive around for hours trying to find it. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, I had a lot of fun that way. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? Oh, gosh. And she's not even blonde. Nope, I'm not. Wow. That's hilarious. Yep. Mm. Mm-hmm. I can't even say anything else. You just have to close here. <laughs> well, one more fact. A lot of people equate leprechauns to elves, like I just did. Yeah. Contrary to popular belief, the leprechaun is not an elf. It's an imp. They are fairies. I thought fairies have wings. Not all fairies have wings. I guess not. Well, yeah. I guess it depends on what kind of fairy you're talking about. All right. Well, let's look. Do all fairies have wings? Oh, my gosh. We are going down a rabbit hole. It says, actually, fairies don't have wings at all. I got one more fun fact. All right. St. Patrick was not from Ireland. Where was he from then? Roman Britain. Roman Britain. That's what it says. Huh. He was kidnapped and taken to Ireland. How about that? And that is where St. Patrick is really from. Hmm. 
So don't wear green, get pinched, get you a little leprechaun and get you three wishes and let us know how that works out for you. Hmm. How about that? All right. Something new every day. Yep. All right, folks, join us again next week as we have another show and talk about who knows what, including step family stuff. (laughs) Yeah, because we're coming up on April Fool's Day soon. Oh, I like April Fool's Day. Uh oh. Maybe we won't talk about that. (laughs) All right. Have fun. And if you drink green beer this week, be careful. Get a designated driver. Anything you eat or drink that's green, you might want to be careful. Yes. All right. We'll see you next week. Hasta la pasta. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.